Welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor Gillian Cameron, Senior Pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire and empower you. Hey, this morning, if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn this morning to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. You with me this morning, church? Awesome, awesome. Philippians chapter 4. All right. This morning, I want to talk about anxiety. And, you know, a little bit of anxiety is okay. But a lot of anxiety is not God's plan for us. A great measure of anxiety is not God's plan that we would live with this, that we would be worried and burdened with cares and concerns. You see, anxiety is defined as a feeling. It's defined as worry, defined as nervousness or unease about something with an uncertain outcome. It's related to worry, concern, apprehension, fear, unease, angst, nervousness, stress, and trepidation. Anxiety creates tension. It can lead to bodily changes. Sweating, not good. (laughs) It can lead to uh, tension, elevated heart, and um, heavy breathing. I've got to say, this was actually the best message I've ever had to prepare, because the whole time I was preparing it, I was like, I can't be anxious about it, (laughs) because how can I preach a sermon on anxiety if I'm anxious? And so actually, it was the best sermon I've ever prepared in my life, because every time I sat down to write, write notes or pray about it, I was like, oh, can't be anxious about this one. So... I think the Lord was having a bit of a laugh at me because I was like, huh, I can't be anxious. And actually, you know what? It actually became the easiest message I've ever had to write because of that, I think. And sometimes it shows us that anxiety can wind us up and make us unproductive when actually God just wants us to get on with things. All right? Okay, you in Philippians chapter 4 this morning? Great. Chapter 4, verse 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. You know, anxiety is originally something that is designed to keep us from danger. Anxiety is a feeling, it's an emotion, it's something that we have actually been designed to feel. Anxiety would keep us from harm, so we knew if we were going to be going into something dangerous that we would get those anxious feelings. It's a bit of a, you know, fight or flight response that is a natural thing. We see in Psalm 139 that David prays in the psalm and he says, Test me, God, and know my anxious thoughts. And so here we see David praying to God, saying, Know my anxious thoughts. But we see that he has anxious thoughts, but these anxious thoughts are not bad for him. 
These anxious thoughts are good for him because they make him realize that he's testing his heart. He's testing his heart and saying, am I living right? God, I want to be doing the right thing. Am I doing the right thing, God? And he's anxious to live in a way that pleases God. So a certain level of anxiety is actually healthy for us and leads us to everlasting life. My friends, this is the anxiety that should live in us. Am I doing the right thing? Am I staying on the way? Am I following Jesus? Just a certain level of anxiety that keeps us in check on the right path and on the right course in life. That is a good and healthy measure of anxiety. But for some of us, this emotion, this feeling has perhaps taken over in such a way that our anxious thoughts outnumber our thoughts of peace and outnumber the possibility that God is with us no matter what we face. David had a right measure here, and I want us to to learn today about how to have a good measure of anxiety and not have a measure that's too big. You know, obviously we've come into church and we're talking about anxiety and this is a health concern for some people. I do want to say that what I am talking about this morning is going to be approached with spiritual tools, with a spiritual perspective. We are here today in the house of God with some things and tools that God has equipped us for life. You know, I would recommend if this is a health challenge for you and you struggle with it on a huge manner that you should also talk to a doctor or GP because they will give you practical tools that I don't have the time to go through today, but all which will help, such as reduce your caffeine intake, because caffeine stimulates anxiety. Reduce your alcohol consumption, because alcohol leads to stress and depression. I mean, the Bible has a lot to say about that anyway. You know, you can go to your doctor and they will say, exercise will relieve stress. Change your diet. Do these things. Those things are very practical and those things are very pertinent. But what I want to give us today is the spiritual keys of how we can combat anxiety that dwells in the heart and soul and mind of the believer and look at how as a believer, really, we have no right to be anxious, nor should we have need. You know, in this room this morning, I wonder, is there anyone here who never has an anxious thought? Is there anyone here who never worries? Is there anyone here who has no cares or concerns? My friend, you are a truly sanctified Christian, if that's the case. You should preach this message. You know, anxiety and care are common to all, but nor should they be the way in which we live our daily life, because Jesus has given us some keys and some ways through it. So this morning, I really want to teach this message, and I pray that it will ignite your heart, set some free, and give us principles to live by, by which we can find the freedom that Christ intends. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> you know, um, the other night, a few of us girls took Anna Carol out for her birthday, and we went out to this lovely Italian restaurant, and we were out having a beautiful birthday, and then the moment came when the birthday cake had arrived at the table. Now, these two Italian gentlemen who had been serving us attentively all night this table of, of younger, nice-looking girls, and uh, they had been very attentive. They came in at this moment willing and saying, it's time for the birthday kiss. It's time for the birthday kiss. And uh, let's just say there were a few anxious looks around the table at that moment, and they went and zoomed straight in for the birthday girl, who was a particularly beautiful woman, and uh, they were very keen to impart this birthday kiss. 
And as they came near, Anna managed, because she's a dancer, she has the reflexes of a cat. And as they were coming in, she put up the hand. I got it on my camera. It was awesome. She had the hand with the wedding ring. It was like, speak to the hand. And uh, that Italian's face, you know, was blocked by the, the wedding ring. Of course, at this moment, it was very, very good. It was there. At this moment, the Italians recognize they've got no ground with this beautiful blonde woman. So they look around the table and think, alas, all is not lost. So then they say, ah, other birthday kiss? And uh, who else we kiss? Of course, Sahanya, she, she pipes up and says, oh, we're all married here like this. But the Italian, they're not anxious about that. They say, oh, it does not worry us. Clearly, they were not anxious in the least. I texted Ben because I wanted to make him anxious. I sent him the photo of them trying to, you know, hone in on Anna. And I said, Ben, this is what they're doing right now. And Ben sends back a message and says, quick, send one of the girls home. I'm coming down there right now. <laughs> Who knows, a healthy level of anxiety can be good for us. He was immediately jumping, jumping to protect his wife and to keep her from harm. It was very sweet. <laughs> I couldn't help but stir the pot. It was too good. It was too good. <laughs> but you know, a large amount of anxiety is not healthy for us. And I came across this story and I wanted to share it with you because if I say nothing else, then perhaps this will be a key that you take away with you today and maybe a key that helps change the way you think about your life. It's called the professional warrior. It says this. This is a little story. I'll just read it out to you. It says, I have a mountain of credit card debt, one man told another. I've lost my job, my car is being repossessed, and our house is in foreclosure, but I'm not worried about it. Not worried about it, exclaimed his friend. No, I've hired a professional worrier. He does all my worrying for me, and that way I don't have to think about it. Oh, that's fantastic. How much does your professional warrior charge for his services? $50,000 a year, replied the first man. $50,000 a year? Where are you going to get that kind of money? I don't know, came the reply. That's his worry. <laughs> you know, as Christians, we actually have a professional warrior. We actually have a professional warrior. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we know that God says, cast your cares on God because he cares for us. Cast your cares on God because he cares for us. Did you know that he's actually made you his personal concern? Do you know that God is more worried about your future than you are? Do you know that he cares more for your, for your life than you do? And sometimes we get so consumed by our cares and our worries, and yet there is one who cares for us more than we can imagine, one who is more worried for us than we can imagine. We have a professional warrior. Don't you think we should start using his services? Don't you think it would be incredible if we could stop worrying because there is a God in heaven who cares and takes personal concern in us? Isn't that amazing? Why, why do I need to be worried if God says, don't worry. If he says, I clothe the, the, the grasses of the field and I look after the little sparrow, how much more, you know, do I care for you than just for a little bird? How much more, says the Lord? 
We know this great love of our God. We have a professional warrior on our side. You know, if God the Father is willing to be our professional warrior, then we can trust him. We can trust him with what we fear today. What are you afraid of? You can trust him. We can trust him with what we face. What do you face today? You can trust him. And you can trust him with what you don't know. The foreboding or the unknown, the fear of the future, we can trust him. He's already planned it out. Let's turn again to Philippians chapter 4. I want to basically now go through this scripture and unpack the keys. Now, you would have heard this before if you've been in a church or knocked around church for a while as being, you know, a glib phrase. Sometimes we're very good at toting out glib phrases for problems. But the Bible and the Word of God is more than a glib phrase. This Word has keys and tools to unlock our hearts and unlock the potential for a worry-free life. Doesn't it sound amazing? Oh my goodness, could I have a worry-free life? Well, actually, yes. Actually, yes. Seems miraculous, doesn't it? Yes. Everything about Jesus is totally miraculous. The first thing to notice is in verse 5, before it gets into don't be anxious, the first thing that Paul starts off by saying is the Lord is near. The Lord is near. You know, even that should be enough to dispel anxiety, that the Lord is near us. You know, as believers, the Bible is very, very clear that when we believe, we are sealed for the day of redemption by the promised Holy Spirit, by the deposit of God, sealed. And I've, I've talked about this numerous times because it's such a passion in my heart that we would understand this, that the seal means that we are authentically adopted. We've been stamped with his seal of approval. We've been stamped by the Holy Spirit. What this means is that from the minute we believe in God, God is near us. God is with us. God is in us. We have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when I leave the earth, I will go, but I have to go because I'm going to send you the promised Holy Spirit. I will send you the comforter. He said, this comforter who will lead you into all peace. He will lead you into truth. He will lead you into righteousness. He is an advocate, a counselor, a comforter. And so we understand that Jesus has to leave, but the Holy Spirit is near us. The Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of the living Christ who raised Jesus from the dead is at work within us, is living in us. The Lord is near. My goodness, the God who framed the stars and flung the stars into space, who holds the world in his hand is near us. This great God of ours, the Lord Almighty, the King of Kings with which heaven claps with thunder, the whole earth shakes when he enters the room. This Lord is near us. Doesn't it mean problems seem to pale in comparison with a really understanding the measure of who our God is? The Lord is near. Amazing. Paul is literally then going on to say, do not be anxious about anything. He's saying, be anxious about nothing. Be anxious about nothing. Wow. I don't know about you. I would really like to be anxious about nothing. Sounds like a great life. But you know what? The Bible doesn't say things that are impossible. It says things that are possible. It's the truth of the Word of God. That's what we believe. Be anxious about nothing. Imagine that. Anxious about nothing. That's the kind of life that we can lead because nothing is too hard for our God. But let's have a look at the key that he gives the key that he gives to being anxious about nothing. It's in the next sentence where it says, but with prayer, petition, 
and with thanksgiving present our requests to God. This is what the unbeliever does not have. This is what we have as Christians that is the greatest force to be reckoned with and to which sometimes we don't resort enough. Prayer. My friend, how long have you been worrying about that situation and remained prayerless? How long have you been dragging that problem through your brain and failed to bring it to the throne room? This is not to condemn us, but to clarify something for us. That thing will bother us until we bury it in heaven with Jesus. You see, we can put things to death and to bed by putting them in God's hands. Or we can carry them around and worry them over and over. And I've done it, trust me. And then I've finally gone, why haven't I prayed about this? And then prayer makes available for us all kinds of possibility. Prayer, prayer, we have to come and pray. You know, Bengal, a writer said, care and prayer are as mutually opposed as fire and water. I like that. I like that. Prayer. Well, let's start there. We know that Jesus taught us how to pray. And how did Jesus start when he taught us how to pray? He said the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven. Immediately, who is our God? Who is your God, people? Who is your God? Okay, so our Father in heaven. Okay, all of the angel armies at his disposal. At his word, the world was formed. So when we come to pray, we are immediately reminded of the power of our God, of the possibility of our God, that perhaps our situation is not so futile when it's him at work through our prayer. You know, we acknowledge God's sovereignty and control when we pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You're the above everything. You are sovereign. You are in control. You are the one that I place first. And when we pray, we place our lives firmly in his hands. You know, prayer is a place of purpose. It's a place of precision. We pray using the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Bible says pray on all occasions, all kinds of prayers, all kinds of prayers. Do you know what? You can pray any kind of prayer. I like that. You know, there's no formula. There's no ritual. There's no right way to pray. There's no particular way you have to pray for your prayer to be answered. You just pray. What is pray? Talking to God. You're just talking. We can wrap it up in this word and make us think that it's some kind of special thing. Prayer is simply talking, a conversation between us and God. The prayer of our lips. You know, and we know that our prayer rises to him like incense. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That our prayer is so precious that it becomes a holy thing to God. Isn't that beautiful? You know, prayer reminds us that there is power available in heaven that we can loose on earth. Whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loosed. My friends, have you been praying with power, knowing our authority as Christians and believers on the earth, that we've been called to rule and reign upon the earth, that actually there is a power in our, in our place here that we can actually access heaven's power? How can an anxiety remain when we know the power that is available? Prayer reminds us that we have the ability to change things. What about petition? Petition, what's the difference? Prayer, conversation with God, telling him about our problem, accessing heaven's, heaven's power and pulling it to earth. Petition is different. Petition is amazing because that's the ability to change God's mind. Did you know you can change God's mind about your situation? Did you know that you can knock loudly enough on heaven's door that God will stop what he's doing and give you his attention? 
You know, when Jesus taught about prayer, he did many parables about persistence in prayer, about going again, trying again, knocking again, don't give up. He talked about the persistent widow who went and knocked on the door. He talked about the widow before the judge. He's saying, be persistent. You know, sometimes you're anxious about something or worried about something. Well, have you prayed about it only once? Maybe you need to pray again. Maybe you need to pray again. Maybe you need to go back again and ask the Lord again because you can change his mind. Where do we see the power of petition at work? We see it in the case of the Syrophoenician woman. This woman comes to Jesus, and she should have just gone off. She wanted her daughter to be healed, and Jesus is kind of ignoring her. He's just ignoring her, and I I don't have time to, to talk about it too much. But we see in this instance that this woman refuses to let Jesus ignore her. She refuses to let Jesus not heal her daughter. And she says to him, even the dogs eat the crumbs from under the table. She's like, come on, I've got the faith that you can heal her. Come on, Jesus. And he says, I haven't seen such great faith. And her petitioning and her petitioning meant that she received her healing. My friend, petition heaven. Petition heaven. What does a petition mean? We're going to get so stirred up about this that we're not going to stop until something changes. You know, there's often a minority that drive the change. (laughs) Imagine if we could change the course of what God is doing. Make him notice little old New Zealand, huh? Make him hear the prayers that have been coming up from New Zealand that this nation would be saved. Make him hear about these universities that need to find Jesus Christ, where the learning and the teaching would come back to having God first. Imagine if he would hear the cry coming out from this nation from this company of people, this company of believers who don't accept but petition heaven for change. The third, you know, prayer and petition are so powerful. And I want to share this story that I came across as I was um, preparing for this. There's a story, and it starts on April the 14th in 1912. And a man by the name of Archibald Gracie, not a name perhaps one should recommend to call one's child, Archibald, Archibald had a swim that night aboard a ship's pool. It was a beautiful little swim, but perhaps it could have been his last swim because that night he was awoken in the night to the shock noise of people screaming and banging around the ship. As he ascended from his cabin to the ship's deck, he learned that the ship had collided with an iceberg. At the same moment in New York, his wife awakened anxiously from her sleep. The anxious feelings did not leave her, and so she climbed out of bed, got on her knees, and began to pray. As she opened her prayer book, the prayer book fell open at Prayer for Loved Ones at Sea. She prayed that all night. She could not get any sleep or any rest. Finally, at 5 a.m., she fell back into bed and went back to rest. She rested until 8 a.m., When her sister came to the door that morning to awaken her with sad news, she brought in a newspaper that declared that that night the Titanic had sunk. Archibald had held on to the railing of the Titanic. He'd held on to the railing and been going down to the depths of the sea. And then at some point, he doesn't really recall exactly what happened. He let go of the railing and he could see the Titanic disappear beneath him. He said he would never forget the monstrous ship disappearing into the depths of the oceans. He let go and somehow he made it to the top of the surface of the water. And as he broke the surface of the water, he said all that filled his ears were the sounds of weeping and moaning and crying and people dying. But you know, he said later, I know of no recorded instance of providential deliverance more directly attributable to prayer. 
said, my wife's prayer saved me. You know, it's an amazing thing that if we take anxious thoughts and turn them into prayer and turn them into petition, what God could work through our lives. Sometimes there's a miraculous that God wants to work through our anxiety, through those anxious thoughts, if we would turn them into prayer. Don't just think them, pray them. Don't just think about it and worry about it. Be persistent and petition heaven. But there's another great key here. And this is the key that I believe establishes the breakthrough and sets our mind and heart free. And this key is thanksgiving. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. There's a stress researcher whose name is Hans Sale. And he said this, he's a not, I don't think he's a Christian researcher. He said, out of all of the emotions, feelings of gratitude had the biggest impact on the presence or absence of stress. Isn't that interesting? Some would say it's impossible to be anxious and thankful at the same time. This is what God wants us to take hold of. Yes, an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of thankfulness. We all know Ruth and Billy Graham, well-known evangelists, but Ruth for many years was troubled and anxious because her two sons had become wayward and they weren't following God. She was anxious and prayerful and constantly worried about her two sons. And then one day she finally came across this passage and realized that she hadn't been thanking God for her sons. And as she started to thank God for her sons and believe for their salvation, she said that from that moment on, the anxiety and the stress and the worry just completely disappeared. And from that moment on, she had peace. And eventually, her sons did come back to God. But thanksgiving is so important. It's saying, thank you, God, for hearing my prayer. To thank God means that we believe that he'll do what we've asked him to do. To bring thanksgiving means that we think we're going to receive what we've asked for. To bring thanksgiving is a sign of faith that we have to exercise before we see the result. To thank God for what he will do, for what he's going to do in faith. And that is what this is, right? This Christian life, we walk by faith. We believe in faith. You know, we know that those that died in the Bible, many were commended for their faith who died before they saw what they were believing for. The Bible is very clear that many died before they saw the result of their faith, but they would have had thanksgiving and trusted that God would bring it to pass. You know, thanksgiving makes us praise God for difficult situations and his working in us. You know, there is a point where we can look at a difficulty or a trial and we're like, God, just heal me, heal me, heal me. But we don't thank God for it. The Bible, sometimes we, we've got to take it a little bit more literally. It says, consider it joy when you face troubles and trials. You know, troubles and trials, they often make us anxious. Troubles and trials and difficulties make us stressed out. And Paul says, consider it joy. What, seriously? What planet are you on? Okay, the, like I am stressed out here. I am anxious here. I've had this diagnosis. I've had this bad report. This thing is going on. I can't figure out how I'm going to make this all work. Consider it joy. <laughs> really? Actually, yes. Because that's the life of faith. That's the life of faith that we would trust that God would work something out for us, that God would work it together in his plan. You know, sometimes even ill health, as horrible as it is, leads us to examine our heart and makes us a better person. Sometimes suffering produces something in us that would never have been produced if everything had been happy, happy, joy, joy. 
Sometimes, you know, our eternal character is of far greater worth to God than what our momentary life is like. Let's not get lost in the minute picture, but see the big picture. God wants to test our faith, and sometimes faith is tested when we thank God before we've received what we're believing for. You know, Jehoshaphat was one of the guys who had to learn this lesson. He was a king back in Chronicles, and there were the Moabites and the Ammonites, and they were besieging the army, and the king of Seir was coming against the Israelites. And Jehoshaphat, he was freaking out. And we see that he leads the whole people in prayer and petition before God. But then he instructs the praise leaders. He instructs the army. Because remember that in the Old Testament, the army of God was always led out with what? With praise. Isn't that amazing? That you go out to defeat the enemy with praise first. But he gave the army these specific words to sing. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. They, hadn't, they didn't look like they were going to win. In fact, it looked like it was going to be a massive disaster. They were going into war. They were going to face their mortal enemies. And he's like, give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. Do you see how these words just don't seem to be the truth? And yet they said them truthfully. And the minute, the Bible says, the minute they began to give God thanks, those enemies, of course, what happened? God sends panic and confusion. They start attacking each other. They wipe each other out. They decimate each other. Then they decimate the king of Seir. And so Jehoshaphat's army arrive, ready to fight. Everybody's dead. The enemy is routed in our lives when we choose to give thanks. The enemy of stress, the enemy of worry, the enemy of care, the enemy of false concern is routed in our heart and in our lives when we give God thanks because His love endures forever. And though we don't understand this light and momentary problem right now, when we get to eternity, it won't matter because God will have shaped us. He will have tested us and our faith will have stood the test in Jesus' name. Our faith would have stood the test. You know, peace is the final result. Thanksgiving gives us power to rout the enemy. And then it says this in verse 7, The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you know this peace, my friends? Do you know this peace? This peace that comes like, the only way I can describe it is like a blanket, that when you feel those anxious thoughts, when you have those stressful moments, it's like the peace of heaven comes and falls like a blanket and soothes and settles our troubled soul. It almost puts to bed or puts to sleep those feelings and makes them like a forgotten dream, like a forgotten bad dream, because the peace of Christ so resides in us. You know, that peace is available for every single one of us. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and He is our Prince. Maybe in this room, He's not yet the Prince of Peace that you know, but He loves you, and He wants to give you this peace that passes understanding. He wants you to know what it is to live in His love and grace. No matter who you are in this place, this peace is available for you, this peace that transcends understanding. You know, I love the fact that this peace is so precious. This peace is more than just a nice word. It means total well-being. Total well-being. Speaks of our wholeness. It speaks of every part of our life being settled. It speaks of every part of our life being a safe harbor. That really, 
Even though we travel on the sea of life, there is no storm or thing that could perturb us or put us off course. Peace is our portion. You know, the other day I was traveling on a plane and I was getting anxious. I get worked up sometimes, just like all of you. And us women, we tend to be more on the opposite extreme than men. <laughs> yeah, sorry men. And I was getting a bit anxious because I was going to be asked questions in a question and answer panel. Now, it's one thing to prepare a message because you know what you're going to say. So there's a certain level, like, if you've done the work, you should have something decent to say, hopefully, God willing. But in a question and answer, you don't know what's coming. It's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? And um, I was getting myself all in a nice little tizzy, all worked up. And I happened to open my Bible to my, just my daily reading plan. And as I, I read, I found Psalm 37. How hilarious. Psalm 37, right at this moment. It is the psalm for anyone who is anxious. It says, do not fret, do not fret, do not fret, at least three times. And I was actually uh, being interviewed at a high tea at midday. Let me read to you the scripture that the Lord just went, okay, you're being so silly. All right, it was this. He'll validate your life in the clear light of day and stamp you with approval at high noon. <laughs> yeah, high noon. He'll stamp you with approval. My friend, do not fret. Do not fret. Do not worry. He'll stamp you with approval. I love the fact that if we've chosen to live, you know, we've been talking about hodos, living on the way, following Jesus, just the simple call of our faith to follow after Jesus, that he'll stamp us with his approval. What is there to worry if we're living right and doing the right thing and doing the best that we can? This peace can come and fill our lives. I love the fact that this peace, it surpasses understanding. It transcends. You know, we can't figure out the peace of God. We can't make sense of it. It's like Ephesians chapter 3 where God says, I can do immeasurably more than you can ask, think, or imagine. See, God is so much greater than our understanding. And his peace is like that. You know, we don't have to figure out where it comes from. We don't have to search for it. We simply have to receive it. It's something we receive in faith. We just say, God, fill me with your peace. And this peace is total well-being. There's two keys that I want to talk about, two final keys in this passage for living free of anxiety before we bring this to a close and perhaps pray for some who feel like this has been an ongoing struggle and that the measure of your anxiety is greater than what it should be. But there's two final keys in this passage of Scripture that would be a shame to not pull out, okay? So it says this. It says in verse 8, Finally, think about these things. Think about what is lovely, what is admirable, what is excellent, what is praiseworthy. What you think about. What are you thinking about? Are we allowing those anxious thoughts to have full reign? Are we worrying about our worry? The Bible's really clear. Change what we're thinking about. Think about good things. Think about healthy things. What's really interesting here is that the words think and thank come from the same root word. Think and thank. So God's saying, think about your blessings and it will lead to thankfulness, which will set you free. So what we think about has the power to set us free. And if we have a thankful mindset, just imagine what could change. You know, there's a story of this person who had a dream and they went to the barn where the devil kept all the seeds that he sowed in people's hearts. We know that the, God sows seeds and so does the devil. And he had a huge pile of seeds of discouragement. And the person says, 
where, do you sow, where can't you sow those seeds? And the devil said, the only place I can't sow seeds of discouragement is in a grateful heart. You know, if we keep our heart grateful, if we keep our heart thankful, then discouragement, worry, and care are displaced. You know, the message version says that Christ displaces worry at the center of our being when we cast our care on him. Isn't that an amazing thought? We think about what we're thinking about. Start to think thankfully. Think thankfully. So if you're getting anxious, my friend, change your thinking into thanking. Amen? Change your thinking into thanking. And the second thing is, the second key here is, whatever you have learned in verse 9, or received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it in practice. I love this. Put it into practice. Because Paul's saying, I'm following Christ. Just do that. Live out the gospel message. Hello. I mean, actually, if we live right, will we not feel right? If we live with integrity, what is there to worry about? You know, because all we have to do is give an account of our life before God. And if there is no hidden sin, no hidden error, no secret sin in us, if there'd be nothing that we're trying to hide, if we just live right, what is there to be anxious about? But a lot of our anxiety can stem from the fact that we're doing the wrong thing. We want to do that thing willfully against God. Well, yeah, you're going to be anxious. <laughs> it's not rocket science. Think happy thoughts. <laughs> Think thankful thoughts. Live right. You know, if our anxiety is stemming because we're doing the wrong thing, well, yeah, it's going to be very hard to track back from that. Start following Jesus. Start living right. It's going to make some hard choices for us to stay on the narrow path. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Yeah, but happy are those who find it. Happy are those who find it. My friend, don't wander off the path. You will be anxious because you know that you're displeasing your Father in heaven. Live to please God and everything flows from a right heart and right relationship with God. Peace comes from right living. And peace also comes because Jesus paid a great price for us to receive it. You know, peace cost Jesus everything to give it to us. The Bible says the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. See, we can access this peace, but it will cost everything of us. See, the cost of eternal life is that we would lay down our life. There is a, a beautiful exchange, but it's everything we are, everything he is. My friend, if you don't want to live anxious, you have to lay down your own life. If you don't want to live with stress and worry, then you have to trust your life into the one who cares for you, the one who made you, the one who formed you. If we try to be our own maker, if we try to live a life of our own making, if we try to dictate the course of our life and the direction of our life, if we set out the plan of our life and think that we can live according to it, we will be anxious. Because there is only one master of the universe. There is only one plan worthy of following. And there is one who loves us with the love that endures. Church, why don't we stand right now? If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Gillian Cameron, go to arisechurch.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at Gillian Cameron and at Arise Church.